0: Welcome to the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman, where Jerry reads a chapter from the New Testament and gives us key insights and life applications along the way. For more information about the Solid Life Journal and reading plans, visit solidlives.com. And now let's get into today's reading.
1: Okay, here we go. Acts chapter 12 starts off with something sad. Now about that time, Herod, the king, stretched out his hand to harass some of the church or some from the church. Watch this, verse 2. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Oh, man, we're just two verses into this, and James has been martyred. Now, who is James? Is this James that wrote the book of James in the Bible? No, that James is the half-brother of Jesus. I say half because Jesus was only really born of Mary by the Holy Spirit and not of Joseph. Otherwise, the sin of humanity would have passed down to him, and he wouldn't have been qualified as innocent to take our place on the cross. No, that was Jesus' half-brother that wrote that book. This was Peter, James, and John that walked around with Jesus. This is the number two apostle mentioned almost every time. This is James, John's older brother. I mean, a significant, a pillar Uh, One of the 12, a pillar in the early church ministry. And what happens? Well, Herod wants to harass the church, so he picks someone prominent. He picks someone uh, of high stature, high regard, and kills him. Kills him with the sword. Watch this, verse 3. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews. We're talking about the Jews that don't believe in Jesus. He saw that it pleased the Jews. The Jews were happy that he killed James. Isn't that horrible? These are Jewish people who believe in the same God that the apostles believe in and that the early church and all these churches believe in. Same God. But they don't believe Jesus is the Messiah. And so there's this anger and even this hatred. The Jews were happy that James was killed. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. He was intending to kill now the number one apostle, Peter, the most prominent of the 12. And it says, uh, now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So what does that mean? Just after the Passover and the spring of the year. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him out, before the people, after Passover. In other words, Passover happens, and then the seven days of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so that whole week-long ceremony is sometimes typically referred to as the Passover. So after the Feast of Passover, which is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So he's intending to bring him out before the people to see what the people want to do. Much like with Jesus, when the people were crying out, crucify him, crucify him. Now... Uh, Herod is planning to bring Peter out after the Passover. Verse 5, Peter therefore was kept in prison, watch this, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. But, what does but mean? But but means contrast, but in contrast. In other words, unlike with James, now Peter's arrested and in prison and the church is in constant prayer for him. What does that mean? We have a different situation. See, sometimes it requires persecution. Unfortunately, sometimes it requires persecution before the church wakes up and realizes, man, spiritual warfare is being waged against us. Persecution is being waged against us. We must go to prayer. We must take our rightful place in authority, use the name of Jesus, call on the power of God and such. And so once James was killed, And now Peter's been arrested, and they perceive he's going to do the same thing to Peter. Now they go to prayer, constant prayer, not just little formalities. Constant prayer was offered to God. Watch this, for him. It didn't happen for James. That happened so quickly, caught him off guard. But for Peter, constant prayer by the church. Verse 6, and when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. In other words, there's no way this guy can get out. But it goes on to say in verse 7, Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side, trying to wake him up, struck him on the side, and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off of him. Oh, this is the power of this angel The chains just fall off of him. And it goes on to say, fell off his hands. Then an angel said to him, gird yourself and tie on your sandals. Come on, put your shoes on here and get your belt on, get girded up. And so he did. And he said to him, put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him. Watch this. And did not know, Peter did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. And as we know, from uh, the previous uh, chapter, and chapter two, two chapters ago in chapter 10, Peter saw visions. He fell into a trance. He saw the vision, the sheet with the four corners bound up and the, the creeping animals and such. So he thought he was seeing a vision, didn't realize it was real. Verse 10, when they were past the first and second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. It's like an electronic gate that was motion censored. And of course, we know it wasn't back 2,000 years ago. But as they're approaching the gate, it opens to them of its own accord. Of course, this is the power of God. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord sent his angel. Don't miss that. Who's the Lord? That's Jesus. Now I know for certain that the Lord, my friend Jesus, who mentored me, sent his angel to get me out. Precious. Why did he do that? Because the church was praying. And didn't Jesus teach them? He said, in that day, whatever you ask, I will do. Do you remember that? Whatever you ask, I will do. They're asking. Lord, deliver him. Get him out. Don't let him be killed. And so Jesus sent his angel. And Peter said, Now I know for certain that the Lord sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. Well, obviously the expectation of the Jewish people was not that he was in prison, because he was in prison. He didn't get delivered from having been in prison. He was in prison. The expectation of the Jewish people was that they wanted him to be killed like James was killed. And this is what Jesus, in answer to prayer... See, God wants us to pray. Some, some people have the idea that, well, if it's God's will, it's going to happen. So why do we need to pray? If he wants to do it, he'll do it. If he doesn't want to do it, he won't do it. That is absolutely not true. No, he has left us in authority here on this earth. But we need to use the name of Jesus and call on the powers of God to alter things in this earth. And so he said, the Lord sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectations of the Jewish people. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark. This is the one who wrote the gospel of Mark. His name is John Mark. This is the one that was with Paul and Barnabas on their trip that we'll see uh, subsequently here. And he bailed out in the middle of the trip, and the next trip they were going to go on, Paul didn't want to take him because he he was a quitter, so to speak. You know, things got tough and he, he quit. But Barnabas was determined to take him. And so it ended up splitting Barnabas and, and Paul into two different ministry teams. And John Mark went with his relative Barnabas and Paul chose Silas and went on with his team. And so this was this person. But this is the mother. Notice these families of believers. This is the mother of John Mark. And it said, where many were gathered together praying. Well, what are they praying about? Among other things, they're praying for Peter. They think he's still in prison. They don't know. How would they know? Watch this. And as Peter knocked at the door. By the way, let's not presume that this is the only house where people were praying. The people people could not fit all in one house. So there were many homes that were meeting as churches. And would have prayer meetings and such. Verse thirteen. Now watch this. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, this is not the door of the house. This is the door of the gate. And if you go to the Middle East today, you'll see often these huge gates. And in the gate, there's a door, and the door is just like a small gate inside of the gate. Because during the day, they may open the big gate, let people in and out, but uh, at night, they don't want to open that big gate lest there be enemies. See, So they'll just open the small door in the gate so that if they did have a rush of a mob, for example, they can at least pick them off one by one as they come through. And so he's knocking at the door of the gate outside of this home where they're in, in their praying. And so it says, uh, and Peter knocked at the door of the gate. A girl named Rhoda came to answer. Now she's on the back side of this huge gate and she came to answer when she recognized Peter's voice. Now get this, when she recognized Peter's voice, she couldn't see him. He's on the other side of a huge gate. When she recognized Peter's voice. Well, how would she do that? This is the most prominent apostle in the church. So everybody knows what his voice sounds like. When she recognized Peter's voice, Because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. Now watch this. This is interesting. But they said to her, you are beside yourself. Why did they say that? Well, they know he's in prison, they think. She kept insisting that it was so. No, it's him. I heard his voice, right? They kept insisting. Watch this. So they said, it is his angel. Now, what in the world does that mean? Well, I'll tell you what it means. Don't you remember from Psalm 91? Uh, No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near you, for he shall give his angels charge over you. And don't you remember that Jesus was teaching, uh, and he was talking about children, and and he said, don't forbid the children. He said, don't you know that their angel always stays before the face of God? Their angel, their angel. The Lord has deployed angels to protect us. Each of us have an angel or angels assigned to us. And so evidently there was a belief and an understanding among the early church that everybody has an angel assigned to them. But here's what's even more interesting. Rhoda recognized the voice of Peter. And so when she went and said, Peter's at the gate, and they said, no, that can't be, you know, he's in prison. And she insisted And she's obviously explaining to them, no, it's him. I heard his voice. And so what did they say? Well, it is his angel. Now, why in the world would they say it's his angel? Because she's telling them that she recognizes his voice. Well, what is an angel? It's a messenger. That's what the word angel means in the Greek, a messenger. And I never had thought about it till God opened my eyes to it from this passage that why would angels only bring a message with the words of God, but not bring a message with the voice of God? In other words, when angels come and deliver a message, it not only is what God said, but it also sounds like God. In the same way, there it seems to me apparent that they believe that Peter's angel would sound like Peter. If he's delivering a message from Peter, for example, because they are messengers, that he would not only say what Peter wanted to be said, but he would sound like Peter, the angel I'm talking about. Isn't that interesting? So, uh, and you think about this from Hebrews chapter 1. The Bible says, are the they, not talking about angels, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who are heirs of salvation? I think it's about the 14th verse of Hebrews 1. For those, not to those, for those. Angels are here to partner with us as God's messengers. Yes, to protect us, but also angels can be put to flight. How can we deploy angels? Well, the key, the answer to that mystery is found in the 103rd Psalm. We won't take the time to look at it, but the 20th verse is where it begins. Bless the Lord, you his angels. Who excel in strength. What does that mean? Angels are powerful. Who excel in strength. Watch this. Who do what? His word. Bless the Lord, you, his angels, who do his, the Lord's word, heeding the voice of his word. So that passage tells us what angels do. They're powerful, they excel in strength. They do the word, this is what they do. But it also tells us when they do the word, at what command. Heeding the voice of the Word. It's our job to voice the Word of God, to declare the Word of God. And when we declare the Word of God, as opposed to declaring unbelief or high things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God, like our minds think of these lies or fears or whatever, we speak these things out. No, but if we'll voice the Word of God in faith, angels have been sent, and this is what they do. They they bring the Word of God to pass. Oh man, this is powerful. And so anyway, evidently the early church had more of an understanding about the activity of angels than we do now in the church. Well, we're catching this from the Bible. Thank God these things are in the Bible. Isn't that interesting to you? I I enjoy this. Verse 16, now Peter continued knocking and when they opened the door, they still think this must be Peter's angel out there. And when they opened the door and saw him, They were astonished. It is him. But motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. Now, why does he want them to keep silent? Because the angel just broke him out of prison. That's why. And he doesn't want to cause a big stir about this and and, uh, have people know where he is. And he said, go tell these things to James. Now, of course, James, one James is already killed. But this James is James, the Lord's brother, who wrote the book of James. And James, by the way, became one of the prominent, if not the most prominent pastor, we'd call him today, of the Jerusalem church. And so it says, go tell these things to James and to the brethren. Go tell these things to James. So this tells us that here Peter, the most prominent of the 12 apostles, is now saying, go tell James. James was the man evidently, based on this scripture and other things that are written that would be uh, recognized as the leader, the primary leader of the Jerusalem church. And he departed and went to another place. So Peter didn't stay there at that house. He departed and went somewhere else trying to stay incognito because he just broke out of prison. Okay, Verse 18, then soon it was day... Then as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. But when Herod had searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. You remember, he had all kinds of uh, soldiers around Peter and had him in chains and such to make sure that this guy, that nobody broke him out of jail. That would be the concern is that people would break him out of jail. And so he had these uh, soldiers executed. And when he went down, from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. Now Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, but they came to him with one accord, and having made Blastus the king's personal aide, their friend, they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food from the king's country. So on a set day, Herod... Now this is the Herod that killed James, the beginning of the chapter... On a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them, gave a speech. And the people kept shouting, the voice of a god and not of a man. So they're, they're, they're speaking out worship to him as if he's a god. And that's not uncommon for Roman people because uh, they believed in a, a pantheon of gods, a, a whole a myriad of different gods. And the people kept shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God grew and multiplied, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled uh, their ministry, and they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. So this is Barnabas and Saul who became Paul. And they took John Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark, eventually, later. Now, I want you to notice something. The chapter starts off very sad. James, the brother of John, Peter, James, and John. James was killed, executed by Herod. But then the church went into prayer. And even though Herod, uh, he had imprisoned Peter, when they went to prayer, the Lord broke Peter out of prison. And not only that, but Herod who killed James, is dead before the chapter's over. Folks, let me tell you, when we pray, the power of God goes into action. And so judgment came on the wicked, and deliverance came to the righteous because of prayer. We have to understand God wants to do the right things for the righteous people. And he wants to stop the wicked. Now, of course, he loves them, wants them to to repent. But if they will not repent and they're persecuting his church, God will bring judgment if we pray. And this is the message that we need to have. We need to pray so that God can do what only he can do through his supernatural power. Well, what a great chapter. And the next chapter is going to be
0: another good one. Chapter 13, I'll see you tomorrow.